and welcome back to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I am your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto, and on this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as a means to do so, all in a straight talk manner with minimal spiritual woo-woo. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode four, season two, and my guest today is Sarah Dahman, a coppersmith and the founder of House Copper Cookware. So we are full swing here in the holiday season. For many of us, of course, it's the Christmas season, and I have been busy decorating. I love this time of year. I didn't always love this time of year, to be honest, but I do now. (laughs) I have actually for the past several years. I used to just think winter was so restrictive and you couldn't leave your house. It was cold. There was snow. And I just really did not care for that kind of restriction. Perhaps it's becoming a mother and a wife or just getting plain old older, (laughs) but I really look forward to this time of year now where you are kind of forced to be indoors, turn inward, relax, and really rest in a way that you just can't do the rest of the year without looking like you have something wrong with you. (laughs) So all the homebodies out there like me, raise your hands. Winter is our season. You don't have to give an excuse of why you're not attending the summer barbecue, why you're not going to the beach with your friends and family, and so on. It's totally acceptable to stay home, drink some nice hot tea, stare at your Christmas lights, do crafts, bake, and just relax. With that said, if you're looking for some genuine holiday gifts that resonate with you and really have some of the values that you have that you want to share. I have opened my Etsy shop, my online shop that I'm so excited about. It's been open for about two weeks now and I'm so thrilled to report that people have been so supportive and really visiting the shop purchasing my wonderful offerings. I have some vintage things up there, some handmade items, and I'm also selling prints as well as digital downloads of many of the still lifes that I post on my Instagram account. So if you follow me on Instagram, a lot of those photos you see me posting there are now available for purchase and you can hang them in your home or slip them into a beautiful frame and give them as a gift to someone you think will appreciate that old world aesthetic. If you're not following me on Instagram, you can find me at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. But either way, please visit the Etsy shop. It is easily located by clicking the link in my bio on Instagram, but I'll also link to it here in these show notes. But you can also simply type in the URL which is etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Bella Figura store. 
and my listeners, as well as my Instagram followers right now for a limited time. So it's going to depend on when you're actually listening to this episode, whether the coupon is still active. But if you're listening to it relatively close to when it airs, you can use the code protection for 20% off anything in the shop. And also all orders over $35 ship for free. Another wonderful holiday offering I have for you is, of course, my beloved Dry Farm Wines. Christmas is coming. Hanukkah is coming. You're going to have guests over. You want to serve them high-quality food as well as high-quality wine. Put this wine on your table and tell everyone about it. In doing so, you'll be expressing values that mean so much to you. These wines are organic, they're biodynamic, they're made by small family farms around the world. This is wine you can feel good about. There's no additives, there's no dyes, none of the stuff that is going to make you, or for that matter, your guests wake up in the morning with serious headaches because they drank crappy wine at the table. Now, Dry Farm Wines is a subscription service, and it definitely is an investment. Doing the math, it comes out to about $30 a bottle. Personally, I love the idea of putting my money where my mouth is, <laughs> or putting my money where my values are. What matters to you? Does clean, healthy ingredients grown in an old world way and cultivated in an old world way matter to you. And if it does, then you have to put your money there. For instance, I love to buy new Italian American books because I want publishers to know that there actually is an audience for these books, as opposed to what we're always hearing editors say, which is there isn't. So if you want more books written by Italian Americans, as an example, you have to buy books by Italian-Americans. So if you want to live a life where your food and your table and your kitchen and of course your body, one of your most sacred things and the bodies and health of your family is important to you, you have to put your money there. Luckily, I have a link created especially for Bella Figura listeners if you use my link, you will receive a bottle of wine for just a penny in your first order. That link is dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura, and I will link to it in the show notes as well. Keep in mind, not only are Dry Farm Wines grown in a way that you can be proud of, but they also contain pretty much zero residual sugar. Every bottle of wine has less than a gram of sugar in the entire bottle because the only ingredients is grapes. There's no added sugar. The way sugar is added into so many bottles of wine that you're going to buy off the store shelf this Christmas season. So use my link dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura. You can order six bottles. You can order 12 bottles. If you don't need that much wine, just sign up for six bottles and have it shipped to you every three months or even longer. In that sense, it'll come out to about two bottles a month. 
So there is a range of options. Also, their customer service is top notch. So if you want something custom, just shoot them an email and they will get back to you and work with you. You can order a mix of red and white, a mix of bubbly, red, white, and rosé. Just reach out to them, tell them what you're looking for, get yourself some beautiful champagne, some beautiful Prosecco this holiday season. That's what I'm doing. I've changed my order this month to get more bubbly because they are so delicious. You will not regret it. I never used to drink bubbly Prosecco, champagne, or even white wine because of the amount of sugar in it until I started subscribing to Dry Farm Wines. And now I enjoy it. I can lift my glass just like everyone else and know that what I'm drinking is not only delicious, but it's not going to hurt me health-wise and it's not hurting the earth or anyone who's involved in the growing process. Again, dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura to get your penny bottle in your first order. Okay, now let me tell you a bit about today's wonderful guest. Sarah Daman is a coppersmith and the founder of House Copper Cookware. When she was researching a historical fiction novel that she was writing, mind you, <laughs> she realized much of our kitchenware is no longer available as it once was and that no one was making American copper designs. She created the House Copper American Copper Cookware line using historical references from original American coppersmiths. Pretty cool project. Not only does Sarah hand drill, rivet, hand tin, and polish each of her wares, but she also spends time with a tinsmith where she works weekly with tools from the 1700s and 1800s to recreate vintage reproductions of tin and copper and build custom copperware designs from scratch. She is the only female coppersmith working in the United States. She lives in Wisconsin with her husband and children on a micro farm. So yes, this is an amazing guest, as I said, doing really, really cool work. I'm so excited to introduce all of you to her. She is another guest this season whose work is really hands-on. Can you sense a theme going on here? Clearly, work we do with our hands, whether in the kitchen, the backyard, the studio, or the workshop is, in my opinion, vital, not only to our physical survival, but our spiritual survival. Being tied to technology and computers nonstop is so frying to our brains and our spirits. And as you'll hear, Sarah and I really touch on this as the conversation unfolds. She learned the trade of copper smithing from a zero to bring it back, a lost art, and to connect the cookware to history and to those who came before us. I just love what she's doing, and I find it so inspiring. Just a quick note about the audio in this episode. Sarah is another guest who is living out in a rural area. So our connection, unfortunately, was not as strong as I would like it to be. There are some pockets where the audio is pretty wonky and frazzled. But if you just bear with it, please, it does pass. So just hang in there. And my apologies in advance for that. Okay, let's jump on into this conversation with Sarah Daman. Sarah, welcome to Bella Figura. 
thank you so much. I'm so glad it finally worked out for us to do this. I know we've had to reschedule it. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. The um, bulk of, you do a lot of things, but the bulk of your, your work, at least as of late, is you focus on making copper cookware and also kind of teaching us about it and its tradition and its heritage. I was really excited when I came across you and your platform because that is something that I've come to embrace and understand in the past couple of years. So to kind of find somebody who you're like really in it <laughs> and all your reasons for you know teaching and why you're doing it, I'm really excited to talk about that. So before we jump in, I do like to ask my guests just to tell me a little bit about their roots and, and the people they come from, their heritage. I love that question. <laughs> um, no, because as a Wisconsinite, that's a, something we ask we ask each other and we don't mean like, what town did you grow up in or what village mm. are you from? It means like, what, what old country did your grandparents boat, you know, come from? And, um, and so my entire family is Polish. My dad's side is like terribly, not terribly, but like so crazy <laughs> Polish that when they did that, the genetic testing thing, like 98% was Polish. Like they never left. They just constantly married each other genetically. I see. Yep. Yep. They came over here. And, uh, and my mom's side is uh, Kashubian, which is an ethnic minority in Pomerania in part of Poland. Um, it's its oh. own dialect and everything. And, um, but she's also then regular Polish and a little bit of German. So I grew up with those two heritages, very, very, very ingrained in my life. Um, in a small village in Northern Wisconsin and surrounded wow. by lots of family, lots of extended cousins and aunts and uncles. My dad grew up po speaking Polish. Everybody talks about the old country and everybody, um, you know, my aunts and uncles all had Polish names as well as English names. And we grew up wearing the ethnic costumes. I have really costume in my closet. Like, you know, you just, I don't know. So that's where I'm from. It's like small town Wisconsin mixed with the, you know, the all all the flavors of our our roots, which is just a really great way to grow up. That's beautiful. I did not expect that answer. I mean, I expected something along those lines, but really didn't I didn't understand how how deeply immersed in the culture you were. Is there a big population of Polish in Wisconsin? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of us in the Midwest. There's really heavy pockets in the Dakotas as well as in Wisconsin, Chicago, Milwaukee. Like there's whole parts of Milwaukee that um, until very recently were just like the Polish section, like just like there's an Italian section oh. in, you know, in Milwaukee. It's a very segregated city that way. Right. Um, but, you know, it, they're actual places where it, the, you know, you could go into the mid 1900s and hear Polish spoke or Italian spoke or, you know, right. Spanish, you know. So are your parents, were they the immigrants or were they born here? My dad's first generation, his so mother and siblings, some of them were born here, but like she and her older sisters were born over in Poland. Um, my mother's side's a little bit um, older. They came over in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s, I think one relative early, late 1700s. I posted something on Instagram the other day that I'm blanking right now exactly what I what it was. But the long and short of it was it was something about doing things a certain way. Maybe I was talking about cooking. Ah, I was I was talking about, you know, doing things in a way that are not convenient 
but are important. So we live in this culture where convenience and speed is so uh, in, like pushed on us. And it was this whole post about, you know, the idea that growing your own food, cooking your own food is really by nature inconvenient, quote unquote. But we've been kind of brainwashed to think that there, if, if we eat conveniently, and get our food conveniently, it'll free us up for all this time to do, I don't know what. <laughs> I right? can pick up a really good hobby. Right. I, I mean, know. that's the question, right? What, what exactly are we doing? You know, why isn't taking time to grow and cook and eat your food the most important thing? So my point is somebody commented something about, you know, how they grew up that way. And they're the children of immigrants, as am I. And my long story short, what I'm trying to get to here is I, I wonder if in some ways you've taken the path you've taken because you were so immersed in the culture you were immersed in growing up. I mean, you mentioned that everyone talked about the old country at least twice in your introduction. Many children of immigrants have that kind of sensibility that is now considered slow food or you know, uh, being green, we're really growing up. It was just the way you did things. There was no pretense to it, right? Right, right. No, I think that that's a fair observation and probably a very true one. Um, you know, I grew up where everybody canned everything. You can all your garden, pro everybody is a garden, everybody cans, everybody gets together, uh, you know, on a Sunday and all the women make pierogies for the mm. whole, you know, and free and divide and freeze and, and mass make. And, and everybody made, you know, their own sauerkraut and everybody, you know, hunted and preserved the meat. Like, so, and I don't know if part of that's a Wisconsin culture intermingling with the Polish culture. Um, I'm sure it is. It, it kind of goes hand in hand. Like you can't have one without the other type of thing. Um, but yeah, I know I kind of took it to the next level um, <laughs> with the way we've built our property and our garden, our mini farm, but I don't, I don't mind. I mean, obviously I love it. You have to do it. You have, you, you, you have to love it to do it. You're not going to put in all the time and effort into gardens and herbs and make growing your medicines and having your own, right. you know, chickens and stuff. If you don't love it. I actually think, of course, there's an always an element of where you grew up and where the community is. Uh, we always talk as Italian-Americans, you know, there's, there is a very East Coast Italian sensibility of which I have completely absorbed. You know, an, an Italian community in Arkansas is going to be different than the Italian community we have here in Jersey and New York, 100%. However, I do think that that part of what attracts people like you and I, as well as my listeners, this is why they kind of come to the show, to this old world sensibility is that it has those elements of what you describe, you know, on Sundays, all the women getting together, making pierogies to freeze for whatever, the week, the month, I, I don't know. But I definitely grew up with that same tradition. You know, you came together, you helped each other make the good food, you know, pull in the beans, sit, shell them, like, everybody just helped each other, which is not really the way it always is in, in this country and in, in this culture. No. And I think we miss that. We feel it's, it's lack. I think so too. I know I've curated very carefully um, a group of like-minded friends just because we aren't by my family anymore. We had to move away because jobs 
um, my husband's work just didn't make it conducive to live in a small village. Um, yeah. and, and I say village because that's really what it's classified as. It's so small. It's not a town. It's a village. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, had to, we had to move away and be away from family. So for us, we've worked really hard to cultivate like-minded family friends sure who all have gardens who all get we get together now I don't get together with my cousins as much because it's a three-hour drive one way but I'll get together with my friends and we'll all can for a night or we'll do a night where we make medicines for the whole seat for the cold and flu season and we're making the elecampane and we're making the elderberry tincture and we're doing all that together and so it still has that same vibe so I think even if you you know and I'm the only like Polak in the bunch but it's still, it's still that same vibe, even though it's right. not blood and that's enough to sustain me. I feel like I've created something that my kids are going to grow up with the same kind of feeling where it's like, oh, they're going to come over and they're going to take care you know, we're going to camp in the backyard with this family. And then we're going to go to this farm and we're going to help them with the goats. And then we're going to go, like, it just started, it becomes what you miss. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I talked to a lot of people who would give a lot for a fraction of that. And it, I- Come I, to Wisconsin, no, I'm kidding. Would you say come to Wisconsin? I'm about to come to Wisconsin. <laughs> we, I mean, you know, this is a bit divergent, but I, it is really difficult to stay around your family and I struggle with it. My husband and I, we, we are in New York. I was telling you, we do have a home in upstate New York as well, but you know, it's getting very difficult for a bazillion reasons to stay here. And if it were up to my husband, we would have moved to somewhere like Wisconsin or Wyoming or Idaho or Montana. It's like this, it's like this record that he's always playing. And I just, I can't bring myself to, to leave my family. You know, it's just so far. And, but I, I, the days where I'm like, let's do it. I feel like I can recreate a sense of that as you just described. You know, it's like once you get over the hump, right? The fear that's in the middle of where I am and where I might end up. I know I feel like I could do that and then live more, actually more in alignment with the way I would like to live and raise my children. Right. There is that, I mean, there's that beauty and that, that comfort and that un, un, unconditional support from your family but at least like in our family it's loving but it's judgy yeah <laughs> you know? I it is I I can show up to a family reunion <laughs> four weeks from popping out a baby I'll there'll be a row of aunts all sitting and they're like <laughs> and you know they have the hair up to here that's dyed in the bright red and oh, they're just man. they're like and they're like we don't like that shirt on you. Oh my gosh. I, you know, and then, you know, along come two cousins sliding down the bench. Well, we like it. It's better than those tents we had to oh wear. And then they just go and I leave. Like if you leave that <laughs> and you don't have those kinds of things floating around, you can still have it when you go home. You can recreate it where you are, but right. in a way you get to kind of, cause you can't pick your relatives. <laughs> you know no it's you true I know exactly yeah. not maybe care about your shirt and that's yeah. just like a silly example but you know yeah. um there is there is some freedom um with that comes that's kind of the trade-off of the loss if that makes sense yes it does and I, I it totally does and I think that that's a big thing we talk about a lot my husband and I which is like every decision and this is this is like the dirty secret of adulthood you know which is that every decision you make 
is a sacrifice of something. You know, there is no, or at least if there is, I've never experienced it. Nobody I know is experiencing it. There, there's no decision that is absolutely everything that you want. Everything is just this balance. What are you willing to let go of? And for us, it's like we have our, our son, he's about to be two. And, you know, as you're raising a family and you're looking at him, you're really, you know, what do you want for him? Do you just want him to be around his family? That's always so busy and we're all so busy and everything's so expensive. And we're working so hard just to kind of stay afloat because it's New York and that's what you do. Or do we want to give him a life where it's slower? And on Sundays, we are with a bunch of families canning and helping each other with the farm animals. Do we want to be able to actually do the work that means something to us as opposed to just working? It's work. Right, right, right. So to be continued, <laughs> it seems if I may, the life that you've created, you've, you've staked your claim. You know, you have your business, you have your farm, you have your family. Like, you know, this is, this is where you're living and how you're living. You've, you know, you've made yeah. the decision. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's been an organic process and it's always in flux, but yeah, I mean, when I do get to stop and sit and think about it, it, you, yeah, we have, we have made some definitive decisions. Uh, I'm a simplifier. My husband's a maximizer, which makes every decision a very well-rounded one. Mm. I don't know if we have time to go in. It's a very yeah. brief, you know, um, a sim, uh, 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 my husband's a maximizer. He will walk into an ice cream shop and he will see all five flavors and he will agonize over which flavor. And he will think about the pros and cons about chocolate over vanilla or vanilla over chocolate, but also mint. And then, but the moon is, <laughs> and, and he will agonize. And then he will finally make a decision. And as he's walking out of that ice cream shop with his vanilla, he'll be going, but I also really like chocolate. I really hope I made the right decision. And so he's so overly cautious, you know, he'll right. spread something to death and never take the step to do it. And I will walk into the ice cream and I've done this even with cars. I like that one. Does it come orange? Yes. I'll get, I'll get that one, you know, when it's ready and I'll walk off without test driving. I don't mm. second guess. I'm like, whatever consequences happen, happen. I'll make it work, whatever. And so between the two of us, any putting down roots decision has, has certainly been a balanced one. So that's been helpful. Otherwise I think I would be trying to live on the moon right about now. <laughs> Yeah, the theme for this season of, of my podcast is home, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because a couple of years ago, my eyes began to open to not only what we, you know, if we cook, right, and what we cook and how that impacts our home, you know, if we cook, what we cook, how we cook, how we eat it, but, but also how we cook it and cookware seems like this topic that shouldn't be a topic, but like everything else in our culture, it is because it's yet another thing we don't realize is harmful to us and, and wasteful in a lot of ways. And it's like, until you start realizing and you go down that path, you don't understand why. This is something I, I'm so excited to talk to you about. And I wanted you to begin just telling the listeners on how you started down the path to become possibly the quote, only woman coppersmith in America. 
I know, right? I, I actually had somebody, no, we had uh, somebody do a search to see if they could find anybody else in any way, shape or form on, on Google and, um, and on the internet. And so we had PR people, we had somebody who used to work for the um, government top level and they're retired, but they know how to search for stuff and they couldn't find anybody else doing what I do. So, so far, so good. I keep saying, if someone knows somebody who does what I do, I'd love to meet them. It's been a journey, a very unexpected journey to get here and being able to even say that I might be the only woman building cookware. When I started down, down the path of making American-made cookware, I did not, um, I didn't even understand the health benefits of how much having pure cookware would and pure metal cookware would be part of the health and food conversation. I was more about let's bring history back. Let's use traditional cookware. Let's go back to basics. Let's keep it made in America. So we know who made it, what it's made from, how it was made, where it comes from the materials in it. Like you can shake the maker's hand. As I went down the rabbit hole, I started to go, oh, you're going to want a, a pure, you're going to want, you know, pure metals where you're cooking your food and where the chemical change of your food happens. And you're going to want pure plain surface that you know is healthy and you know exactly what it's made out of. And so then that became part of the conversation when I started talking about cookware to customers. And I love that it, it will never get old. It will never I'll never tire of saying, yeah, if you cook on tin line copper cookware, it's energy efficient, it's green, it'll never rust, it'll never go in a landfill. And it's totally food safe and it has been for hundreds of years. Mm. I mean, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, if you're somebody who works really hard to kind of know where you get your food from, you know, from the farm, or you're somebody who raises your own food or grows your own food, or even if you're just somebody who does none of those things, you live in the city, it's fine, you know, but you're buying, spending a lot of money on buying things all organically. And then maybe you don't realize you're, you're tossing it all into a pan lined with chemicals, then you're, I don't, I'm not a scientist, but I mean, I, I don't know the percentage with which you are negating the organicness of your food, et cetera. But I just do know what a waste after all that work and money. Wait, I think that's that's more it than anything. Putting organic food in a nonstick piece of cookware isn't making it not organic, but you're kind of canceling out why you're trying to be so healthy. Right. If you're if you're heating and cooking on a surface that is is honestly just spray painted on, uh, you know, it's just a spray. Any nonstick pan is just a spray. It, it's, it is nothing else. I get calls for copper, copper chef or red copper or copper pans. I know the paint is copper colored and that's the name of the, of the company, but that is not, that is paint. You're cooking on paint. Congratulations. <laughs> and I just feel like if, yeah, you wouldn't take paint and pour it in a pan and cook on it. And I know that's not an, like a safe equivalent, but let's just try and move away from that if we can and just eat, you know, as clean as we can. So let's root the listeners in what we're talking about, right? We're talking about you go to Home Goods, you go to Target, you buy a pan, you crack an egg on it, you cook it, it slides right off. You never have to worry. The pan's never sticky with anything, et cetera. And that, that is the coating we're talking about, correct? Yes. 
that thing that lets its, your food slide off so easily uh, is a chemical that is produced and placed on the pans. It's really difficult actually to go to the store. I know because I'm always trying to find sheet pans that are not nonstick. Very difficult. This is probably what you're cooking on. If you haven't been conscious of choosing different cookware, that's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so what you, you have done, what you do, and then you, you came out with a book. It was last year, right? In 2020. Yes. Copper, yes. iron, and clay, a Smith's journey. Beautiful. Yes. And what you are talking about as an alternative to this is something that has been around for a very long time. Also something this audience loves. We love talking about things that connect us to our ancestors, things that are old world, the things that you create with your hands and the cookware we're talking about is a hundred percent that. And we're talking about copper, talking about cast iron and clay. So clay bowls that you would mix pottery. in. Yeah. Pottery. Exactly. Yeah. These are things that have been around forever and people cooked on forever. Can you give us like a mini education on why those products are better to cook on and why did our ancestors use them? The basic answer to that is mostly that the bare minimum, you know, cast iron and pottery and, uh, you know, baking and pottery or cooking and tin line copper is because the, the, the substance you're cooking on is pure. And it's a technique that in the case of pottery goes back 10,000 years. And it's, these are, these are methods that are tried and true and, and kind of the whole, why fix it if it's not broke, other than to just use the new shiny invention for the sake of the fact that it's new and shiny doesn't necessarily mean it's better. I mean, the steel is a relatively new cooking, cooking surface. And, and by relatively new in the past, like, you know, maybe a hundred years, there was no reason to start using stainless steel. We just had a surplus after the war. So what are we going to do with it? Just put on cooking pots. It's the purity is, is a big part. And the fact that these materials still work, they're all used for very specific purposes. Tin line copper can be used for pretty much any kind of cooking, except for what you use for cast iron, which is anything you're not using in, in tin line copper. And then pottery is best for baking anything. And our ancestors used them mainly, you know, if you want to go back to pottery, it's because they didn't have metal yet when they started pottery, but it was one of those first ways of create of culture, of expressing culture. When archaeologists go to any dig in anywhere around the world, what they want to find is pottery because the pottery that was being used by the people at that time will help them date and identify that archaeological dig. And, and so that's what we had until we, in, until we had copper, which actually came before iron and we had copper, copper next. So of course the ancient Egyptians were drinking out of copper vessels and bowls and gilding them with gold and silver and their spears were made out and, and axes were made out of copper. And then, you know, and, and honestly, and metal usually starts out in warfare and then works its way into the mm. kitchen. <laughs> so like first they had copper axes. And then they were like, oh, so we could make bowls. <laughs> um, and, and the same thing happened with iron. The countries in the ancient world that in kind of was able to figure out how to use iron. And it was in, mostly in Haiti, um, which is like modern day Turkey. And they, they figured out a lot of ways to use iron. And, and then they had, you know, ways to, to their armies had iron and iron will 
will be stronger against something as soft as copper and and bronze. Cast iron is, you know, late 1700s, really, in terms of the way we know of cast iron. But okay. wrought iron was used for a lot longer, and and um, they would find they've found pieces of wrought iron cauldrons that from Viking digs, you know, that go back a thousand years. I mean, so yeah. We used it because it's what we had. You know, one thing that I think I definitely was a hesitation for me is there's an intimidation on how to cook with these pieces, you know, like copper scary, cast iron scared me. So you're just avoiding it because, and then if you don't read a little bit about it, do a little research, then you try to cook with it and everything sticks and burns. So if you could talk a little bit about, is that, is that just hysteria? <laughs> Should people not be intimidated? Yeah, it shouldn't be precious. The funny thing is our knowledge of how to cook with a lot of these things was lost in a generation. You know, we, if you, you know, people always talk about, oh, the, the Downton Abbey kitchen has copper. And well, that was the 1920s, 1930s, right? So it's barely a hundred years ago that the cooks were using copper and understood it and had no problem with it. And then now, you know, in a generation, it stopped being used. And now it's just how to use it is gone. My own mother was petrified to use her copper pot that I built for her for like a year. <laughs> wow. And then she yeah. came to my house and used one of mine, probably because she didn't worry if she wrecked it. And then like, <laughs> I love this. This is great. Well, you know, you say on your website, uh, somewhere on your website, I read, it says American copper cookware production had all but disappeared until a few short years ago. Mm -hmm. which I thought was very interesting. I had not realized that. I just assumed I hadn't been using it, but not that we, that we had kind of ceased production of it. Yes. And I mean, if that's not a testament to how the knowledge and the wisdom of cooking with these instruments or cookware, uh, if that's not the testament, you know, I don't know what is. Do you think that's changing with a kind of renewed interest in this type of cookware? Absolutely. Uh, that it being more people manufacturing in America. Yes. Okay. It's been, it's, it's, a, it's been changing from when I started to even now, I would say the changes is massive. The interest, the, even the in, interest and um, knowledge around, you know, the, in, the interest for the knowledge. I mean, all of that's changing and it's been really, really exciting. Cause it's kind of like, Oh, I guessed right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> like, phew, I invested all this time and energy into learning how to do this. And I, and I made the good decision. You really just have to learn, like, like with the cast iron for me, like I just have to learn a little bit about heating up the pan first, not moving my food around until it had kind of set and then how to care for it which sounds like a lot, but it's really not because it's actually so easy to clean cast iron once you know what you're doing and it's not, and it's seasoned properly. Yeah. It's two seconds choo, 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 and you're done. Wipe it down and you put it away. Yeah. Cast iron, I feel like is a little in the middle. Copper is definitely an investment. Yes. Tell people why you think it's a good investment. I know it is because I know it will never go in a landfill. Right. I know it is because it can be passed down for hundreds of years. It's not unheard of for me to repair a 300 year old piece of cookware 
um, in, in my shop and send it back for another hundred years of use. Um, so like cast iron, which you can do this with, um, copper cookware is an heirloom piece that you're investing in for your family, for your great, great, great grandchildren to be able to use. You can do in copper what you cannot do in cast iron, which is why I wanted to have both types of cookware when I started, you know, house copper, because I was like, well, what you do in, in, in copper, you can't do everything in copper, but there are things that you don't do in cast iron that you need a pot for this. And if you're not going to want to use Teflon pot, you know, you're going to want something else. And that something else is tin line copper. You will sear a steak in cast iron skillet. You will not do that in a, in a copper one. You'll wreck your tin. Right. But you can make any, any type of sauce, any type of chocolate ganache in tinline copper. You can't make that in a, in a cast iron skillet. Anything that you don't do in one, you're going to do in the other and vice versa. So really you only need those two kinds of cookware. I know that it's tough to afford some of these things for many of us, but it's, it's also kind of that joy of, you know, saving up and little by little and investing in it and then having a knife or having a copper pot that you give to your son or your daughter. And when they give it to their children, they know, you know, this has been in my family for X amount of generations. My great grandmother cooked dinner for my father in this pan. You know, my great grandmother diced up countless uh, pieces of garlic with this knife. And there's something really beautiful in that. And it's something um, that our fast, convenient, throwaway culture has robbed us of. And that's so true. And, and saying robbed us is a, is a fair, is a fair term because it's been very insidious. Like we don't know what we've lost until yes. Yes. it's lost. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's so we, well said. How did, happen? how did this, what, what decade did this happen? You know, cause it's right. slow. It's, it's a slow boil. One of the reasons that I started this show was exactly, basically what you just said, which is I, I realized from the first podcast I had started that there were a lot of people who almost didn't realize that they had lost something, but they felt it. So they had this feeling that something was missing. And a lot of times when they came across my first podcast and the things that I personally talked about on it, they realized, oh, it's my culture. It's my heritage. It's my ancestry. It's this way of being in the world that somewhere along the line was taken from me or lost. And I feel its absence, but you know, until you can put your finger on what that is, you almost think you're crazy. Right. And then you yeah, find well, someone you're like disconnected. Yeah, yeah you yes, exactly. Like you're, you're very disconnected in that you're floating and there's no, there's no real roots and, and you're constantly searching, but you don't know what you're searching for. You know, some say the sense of community or having family near or knowing, you know, knowing where you come from. Um, I think that's why genealogies yep. are so, you know, popular in the 23andMe stuff because people want to know Right. a bit more about who they are yep. and you know how, how that's defined in terms of of heritage it's something that no one will ever be able to take away from you either and there's there's comfort in that too
Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, another aspect of this that I, I feel like more and more I've been exploring lately through my, the different work I do is the aspect of beauty. You know, there is, so we've talked about the health benefits. We've talked about the ancestral heirloom, you know, sentimental, but there's also these items are beautiful. Copper pieces are really beautiful. And if you have them on the shelf in your kitchen or hanging on the wall, they're, they're accents. And I feel like a lot of us. You, you feel happy when you see them. Yeah. You just do. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I had the same feeling when I opened my, my drawer of copper. Cause I don't have them hanging. Cause I, we didn't do that when we had this house and I wasn't thinking I'd ever have cookware. I'd want to hang, but <laughs> you just have a sense of joy because you, you know, it's something you're connected to. And there, what do you think accounts for this kind of revival of interest in in the cookware and the use of it and all the other things we just talked about that kind of go with that, you know, the maker, a lot of people are makers now. And yeah, a couple of things. I do think it's, it's uh, at ebbs and flows with generations. So I do think um, the generation right before the millennials like to get their hands dirty. I do think millennials being very um, green and, you know, they're very, very tech savvy, but they also care very much about the, the environment. So the conversations about organic and uh, going back to basics and, and, you know, the, the hipster movement, like all those things contrive to make people going back to basics, back to um, traditional cookware and even cooking techniques. Um, you know, most of the blacksmiths out there right now, I mean, they're all young guys, they're in their twenties and that's exciting to see because it means that interest is there. Right. So I do think Um, And I do think it is a pushback from technology too. As much as everybody's glued to their phones, all it does is make us want to dive our hands in the dirt and, you know, come up and have them smelling like tomato vines. Like there's, there is an ache for that. And so we're trying to find that in any way we can. And if we have the opportunity, we're, we're going for it. And so I think that that's a driving thing. And then that's bleeding into, you know, other generations, you know, it's really funny when you start hearing, you know, like your parents talk about, you know, energy efficiency. And I'm like, that was not your idea, by the way. That was us younger people. <laughs> you are not allowed yes. to steal that and pawn it off oh, as yeah, your own. Yeah. You know, it's a good idea. <laughs> you know, one thing we kind of already touched on this, um, but as we wrap up here, I do want you to talk about your fiction, which, which I know is kind of what led you to this work. So I think it's a good way for us to, to wrap everything up, but you, you did say, you know, you started making this cookware because of the historical aspect of it. Yeah. So just, you don't mind like talking about that. Cause I'm, I'm, I definitely think that's really interesting. As I said, I love, I love being connected through history, you know, anything I can get my hands on and use in my life that connects me to the people who came before me is, is of interest to me, but I love how you kind of came to do this, you know, just by literal research, because you've also written books of fiction. You're one of these people who just does everything. I've always been a writer, but it was one of those things, you know, coming from a hardworking Polish family, it was like, that's a nice hobby, but don't expect that to be a day job. I so know I never really it. pursued it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I just always did it on the side, but my husband is, you know, we've been together 19 years he's always supportive of any of my creative endeavors. So he was like, you know, you should just maybe like, there's this 
new thing here. How dated are we? There's this like on this like new platform, um, Amazon, like they're letting people like self-publish their books. If you just want to get them off your computer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, so I, but I had had books, you know, that I'd been working on and, and they always were steeped in, um, historical fiction and it's just where my voice always goes and it's it takes place in the Dakota territories in the mid to late 1800s and um and I was I was I wanted to do it on on everyday women not the spunky women that everyone writes about not the unique women like the kind of the everyday ones who had to face a lot of really hard choices every step of the way and had consequences because of that and you know at a time period where when life got really hard like and you were really struggling like there wasn't a word depression and there wasn't mm. a word for right. um, anger management or right. stress right and it was through your researching for these these fiction books that you realized no one's making this cookware anymore or very few people Correct. and then you thought I'll do it <laughs> Why not? I don't, there's a Polish saying, and maybe you have something equivalent in, in, in Italian, but the Polish saying is, which is, um, it means, there's a ton of like, a lot of like multiple meanings around it, but essentially it, it, um, it's kind of what will be, will be mm. reach for the stars, damn, damn the consequences. You'll figure it out as they come, but just keep working toward your goals no matter what and you'll 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 succeed that's kind of how i was raised so to me that you know even though i second guess myself all the time i don't go i can't do that i go well why not why wouldn't i do that that's all you need to be brave enough to pick up the phone knowing you're probably going to hear no a hundred times before you hear yes or mm -hmm. things like that i love that i love that just dive in and you kind of like build your wings as you're flying and sometimes yeah. thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's a great visual. Yeah. We know we didn't even get into how you make these things. If you have a shop, et cetera. I mean, there's, there's tons to talk about, uh, but you're, I will link of course, to your book. You have tons of articles written about you as well. I'll link to your website. So people can kind of learn more about all this. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad I got to meet you through social, social media is good for something. So thank you for reaching out and, um, and I'm happy to connect to your listeners through you. So thank you so much for this time too. It's awesome fun. Thank you so much for joining Sarah and I on this episode of Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. Just a reminder, please don't hesitate to reach out with feedback, questions, or ideas. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, which helps to spread the word about the show so that it reaches more like-minded folks like us. You can find me on the web at bellafigurapodcast.com. And if you sign up for my newsletter now, you'll receive a free bonus episode and workbook on dream interpretation. Please also subscribe to the show so that you don't miss an episode. Share with your friends and share it on social. Again, you can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. And you can DM me on Instagram or email me at Dolores at BellaFigurapodcast.com. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power. <laughs> <laughs>